Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. In this episode, I'm going to be finishing up my interview with George Hill from Crusader Weaponry. Uh, this will be the second part, and I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Let's do this next part. Let's answer questions and uh, kind of roll through it a little bit. You know, we've been talking for over an hour. Yeah, I realized that when I looked at my, my yeah, phone. Yeah, I just checked the time on this thing, and I was like, wow. You know, usually my shows are yeah. for 45 minutes to an hour. And I don't mind putting up there that it takes two hours at all. Anything more than that starts to be a really, really big file to download. But mm-hmm. by all means, yeah. don't, hold, don't hold anything back. Okay, let's go with a little bit more of a lightning round. Let's, uh, all right, because yeah, we, we only got past like three questions so far, which is not good <laughs> for time anyway. All right, George, well, what are your thoughts on uh, why an armed citizen should go out and get some formal training? Uh, from an organization like yours, or maybe a law enforcement officer should go outside his department and get more training. You know, why should someone do that? Well, you know, we, we want to be better at what we do, uh, but more importantly, we want to not let down uh, our loved ones. Um, I've got uh, a wife, and I've got my six boys, and if I fail at defending them, that right there is one of the greatest fears of my life. Uh, for a police officer, it's not him that he's defending. It's not just his family he's defending. He's, he's also defending, uh, you know, the citizens that live within his jurisdiction. And uh, their lives are on the line based on, you know, his skills. You know, is he going to be able to stop the threat? When it comes right down to it, it's, it, it's a weighty responsibility. And if we choose to strap on a gun... And to take that responsibility by strapping on that gun, uh, we're liable for that. You know, it, it's a moral, I believe it's a moral obligation to strive for training, uh, to strive to improve yourself. And the only way to do that is to go find instructors and, uh, you know, learn everything you can from them and then find another instructor and learn whatever you can from that guy. And basically, never stop. Never stop, because when you stop, you get complacent, and that's when that's when you start to slide backwards. That's that's where you start to lose. That's where your failure uh, is going to grow from is from that complacency. You know, I think you summed it up all in one of your first sentences. You said when someone decides that they're going to strap on a gun, and when I think someone decides to strap on a gun, then they ask themselves a question: Do I have the capacity for violence? Can I cap somebody if my life depends on it or the life of a loved one or any innocent bystander depends on it? Can I use violence to stop that? And they answer that question, yes. They get that concealed care permit. They put that gun on their side. And you know that's what you said, basically. And it shouldn't end there. You know, Whenever you take on that responsibility, and to me that is a huge responsibility, carrying a gun is not something fun to do. It's something that we get used to doing and something that you know we, we take pride in and our rights and everything else. But also, you know, it's we're taking on a huge responsibility when you put that gun on your side. And with anything in life, whenever you have a huge responsibility, you want to have all the information that you can get about it and make sure that you do it justice and you do the right thing with it. I think that was exactly. Exactly. It's just like driving a car. If I'm going to give, you know, um, my teenage son the keys to my truck, you know, he's got to learn how to uh, drive it. He's got to learn how to use the turn signals. He's got to learn, you know, when he pulls up to the pump at the gas station, how to refuel it. And all of this goes together. 
And, uh, oh, man, I, that just freaks me out. I've got a son that's old enough to drive. That's just crazy. But, uh, you know, having that vehicle in his control, that's as big of a responsibility as, uh, you know, packing a cider. And there's a lot of legalities that go with that. There's a lot of uh, liabilities that goes with that. And uh, the more he learns about driving, the better he is. Same thing with the gun. The more you learn about the gun, the way it operates, why it operates the way it does, and how to manipulate that gun, uh, you're going to be better off. Because, you, you know, you might, you know, my son might be fine driving on a, you know, a nice summer day like it is right now, you know, heading into the fall, but, you know, the trees haven't even stopped, uh, they haven't started turning yet. Uh, beautiful day. He could drive like this, no problem. But what about in two months where uh, we got snow and ice on the roads? Okay, well, you can shoot just fine at the range, at the static range where you're not allowed to shoot more than one shot a second, and you can't shoot from the holster. Some of these ranges that are out there here, all these funky kind of rules. I'm out in the desert. I can shoot however I want. But, you know, if you're at this range and, you know, you can shoot this way, that's, that's fine. But what if you get knocked down? You know, human beings trip and fall all the time. So what if you get knocked down? How are you going to shoot at a threat that's threatening you on the ground? You know, well, you'll never know shooting at that public range. So you got to train for those. Can you draw from on the ground? Is your holster in a position where you can get to it when you're on the ground? You know, if your right hand's being occupied by someone or it's injured, can you draw? You know, there's just so many things that go along with it that, you know, you just, you really can't get it from picking up a guns and ammo magazine. No, it just. But you get some formal training. No, you don't. You don't get it all in one class. But you start filling in the pieces of the puzzle, and you start. You know, not only getting better at your shooting skills, but you learn more about mindset and more about how to detect early detection. You know, one of the biggest things that has really influenced me in the past, uh, I'd say, couple of years, is I had the opportunity to go to a little school that uh, basically just focused on early detection by reading body language and detecting a threat uh, or a non-threat by body language. And I had no idea how much stuff I had been missing in communication my entire life until I started learning about body language. So I started reading books about it and listening to audiobooks and podcasts about body language and it just opened my eyes. You know, it's not all having to do with actually drawing that pistol, finding sights, getting on the trigger and incapacitating a bad guy. There's just so much more into it. Get some more tools in your toolbox. You know, there's you don't always have to hit that nail with that hammer. But if that hammer's all you got, then that might be your only option. But once you get more options, then you might see other things you can do uh, to keep from having exactly. to use that hammer. Exactly. See, I call my handgun side. You know, the handgun I got on my hip right now, it's a Glock 23. Oh, there goes that question. 40 caliber. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm packing a Glock right now, a 40 cal Glock at that. But I call it my ripcord. And the reason being is that's, you know, it's, it's my parachute. When everything else fails, that's when I'm going to pull my ripcord. Uh, because, you know, the first thing I'd rather do, defuse a situation or get out of the situation. But, you know, if everything else, if everything else fails, I've got my ripcord, so that's, you know, you and, you know that. that's one thing that you know the other side of the uh, political spectrum doesn't really agree with us on is that uh, you know you can be perfectly compliant with uh, an individual who wants to do you harm or rob you or whatever, and you can still get shot. You know, uh, 
just by compliance, you know, it doesn't work. But having many different ways to comply or many different ways to manipulate the situation or get away from it is a great resource for you and your family, whoever's around you. But then having that ability to quickly draw fine sights and put accurate shots on target, you know, it just for that to fall back on, it's paramount. You just can't get past it. Yep. Exactly. And you can, you know, reading the body language of, of this guy, he's agitated, he's shaky, uh, he seems to be very angry and hostile. Well, that might be different from an adversary or a threat that's just wanting to, you know, give me your money. He seems scared. You know, he seems like he wants to bolt. You know, you've got two different mindsets going on in, in your adversary, and you've got to read them. I would, I'd, I'd much rather say, okay, here's my wallet, you know, take off, and done, okay? I can go, you know, cancel my cards, I can file my police report, and I can go home to my kids. But if you read the situation, it's like, well, this guy, I have a feeling this guy's going to, he's going to shoot me no matter what. Well, that's a completely different situation. Then you've got to read that. You've got to read that on the fly. And, and you have to follow your gut instinct. But what you have to do is you've got to be able and be ready to react that OODA loop. You know, you, you observe, you orient, you decide, and you act. You've got to make that action something that you're used to doing. You know, you've trained for this action. Drawing from the ground. Drawing from a position, you know, like say your hands are in your pockets. Okay, now draw your weapon from that position. You know, how are you going to react with what you're wearing? You know, that's going to play into effect. I've got a gun on my hip, but I'm wearing this jacket, and it's zipped up because it's cold outside. I can't get to my gun that fast. You know, so how you deal with this stuff, you know, these are things yeah. that you're going to have to train on. Right. We could we could go into different scenarios and scenarios all night, and I would enjoy it, but the podcast probably wouldn't allow it for time, and the file would be huge. But, you know, you're exactly right. You know, if there's two bad guys right in front of you, they both have guns, they're getting ready to draw, or they have halfway draw, pointing at the ground, or pointing at you, and you're right in front of these two individuals, you know, if they're pointing at me with their guns, as I decide that it's time for me to fight, you know, I'm not just going to draw my weapon and try to do a box drill, chest, 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 head, head. I'm going to draw my pistol and move offline as fast as I can so that one of the guys is taken out of the fight as quick as possible. So now his buddy is in his line of fire. And they're also both very close, so I don't have to manipulate my sights or move my weapon much more. You know, there's little things like that. And that's what we talked about earlier, the little things. There's little small things like that. The way I can maneuver and make that one guy not be able to effectively put shots on me, and now I'm only engaging one at a time, even though we're only talking about split seconds here, I'm still only engaging one person at a time because I move quickly. Uh, it's just little things like that. It's training like that. It's it's very important, and you don't get that at a concealed carry class. No, you don't. Um, as, as a matter of fact, when you talk concealed carry, uh, some instructors will require you to shoot, but the state, as a requirement of the state, there's not even that shoot requirement. So you're getting uh, four hours of classroom discussion, basically trying to talk you out of carrying a gun, and. Uh, giving you an idea of all the legal ramifications for doing so, but you're not getting actual firearms training. And I talk to people at the gun counter all the time. Oh, well, I, yeah, I, I know all about this. I've had my concealed carry class. Okay, that's great. So now you're able to carry, but you still don't know how to carry. And those are two very different things. You know, having, I mean, a driver's license, having a driver's license doesn't mean I'm going to go to Daytona 500 and try to do some lap times. Yeah, you know, I've been carrying for quite a while now, and 
I've been dealing with weapons. I've deployed with weapons since 1998 uh, in Tirana, Albania. Whenever the Serbs were invading Albania, you know, I've I've done things for many many years. But I am, and I've trained all over the world with all different people. But I tell you, you know, I am far from having it all figured out. The more I learn, the more I realize that I don't. I need to learn more, and. That's just I, I, I don't think you're ever going to have it all figured out, and it's it's going to change on you. And there's just so much so much more to comprehend, and so many more things to think about. You're never going to get it all. No, you can't. And and there's no, you know, there's the phrase "gun expert." I hate that phrase. There's no such thing. I've been called a gun expert um, by you know a lot of different people. Even you know guys like Masada Yub referred to me as as a gun expert on armed American radio. And, they, they, it, you know, I appreciate the, uh, the, the honor of, of his acknowledgement of my knowledge. However, it kind of made me cringe because I do not consider myself a gun expert. Uh, I'm still a student, and I think all the gun experts that I know will say the same thing. We are all still learning. Because there's no way that somebody can know everything about gun fighting and everything about all the guns on the market and everything about the ammunition and all the holsters. The reason being is because there's just too much. Like looking at the stars. Can you name all the stars? Um, you know, a good expert will know all the constellations and maybe a lot of, you know, other prominent stars out there, but there's so much more. Don't make me go there's geek so mode on you. I'm a space geek. Don't make me go <laughs> geek mode on you. But <laughs> the, the, I still won't hit all the stars. You know, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, and I, I kind of like the term. If I was, I wouldn't like the term, you know, gun expert either. But scholar, I think, is uh, is a good term uh, because you know, a scholar isn't someone who knows it all. It's someone who is still he knows most stuff, or he's in it, but he, he realizes that it's still a process. It's still a, he's still in the process of learning. He may write scholarly journals or scholarly things on uh, the subject matter. But he's still researching these things, and he's still gaining knowledge himself. You know, but yeah, you know, expert. I've got an expert badge. If it says like seventh award expert, means I can shoot a rifle at two, three, and five hundred yards pretty well. Uh, that doesn't make yeah. me a rifle expert. You know, it really doesn't. No, there's just so much no. more that goes although, into it. Although, when I first got that badge myself, uh, oh, I qualified expert with the uh, M16A2. I, I felt, man, I felt like a giant. I felt like I strode the earth with giant strides uh huge and then i come home i go into the gun store and i looked at these guns um okay 270 what the 300 ultra mag what's that you know i didn't know i really to be honest i didn't know anything i knew an m16 and i knew 556 that was it that's all the military yeah but what that does for you though is even though you have that, you'll understand the basic fundamentals of how to use that, how to actually apply the shot process for each of those guns. You may not know exactly everything about the gun, how to load it, unload it, disassemble and assemble, and you know all that stuff. And you know, I, I've said before on Gunfighter Cast, if you have a question about the grip angle of a gun or how much it weighs or this and that, you need to email you know Tom at the Gun Dudes or Eric Shelton at the Handgun Podcast or something because I'm not the guy to ask about that. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't read magazines and you know study gun porn enough to, you know, learn all that stuff. I would like to have all that knowledge. I really would. But, you know, it's just, it's not my thing. You know, my thing is I want to get out there and do some practical training. I want to be breathing heavy. 
You know, I want to have my heart rate increased, and I can tell you how to do that. And I can tell you how to, you know, get that gun out of the holster with your non-firing hand, and how to clear that double feed yeah. with only your left hand, with not even using your right hand exactly. at all in a in a M4. You know, that's that's what and all I do. of that comes down, and all of that comes down to your desire to stay alive. And, and that and that's awesome, and that's what it's about. I want to keep myself alive. I want to keep my family alive, and I do that by never getting complacent. Never letting yourself be comfortable. Yep, that's it. All right, well, let's move on to the next question, George. Um, All right. Now, I don't know as far as your, your combat experience background, but I'm going to ask this question to everybody that's going to come on the show. How important do you think it is for an instructor who teaches how to survive a deadly force encounter to have actually been in that type of situation themselves? You know, that, that, that's a very good question, and that can be kind of a loaded question because I've, I, you know, I know some instructors who have, as the phrase goes, seen the elephant, and I know that there's some instructors out there who have not. And there's some very good instructors that have not been in gunfights. However, they are very good shots. They are uh, champion-level shooters in competition, and they offer tools for your toolbox that are definitely and absolutely worth knowing, worth having. Those are worthy tools to put in your toolbox. However, I, I don't know how to articulate this in words, what, I, what I'm thinking here. Uh, if I could sit down to my laptop and type it all out, I could probably write an article about Sorry, it. Sorry, take your time. You know, but, I'm going to edit the crap out of this thing. I'll make it sound like you just <laughs> flew with it. But when it comes to, to learning how to defend yourself with a gun, it is an advantage, you know, learning from somebody who's been there. Because this person has obviously demonstrated that what he knows is life-saving because he's still there. At the same time, just because the guy survived one gunfight, you know, with one type of gun in one situation, you got to balance that. How does he know? And and, and it's and it, you know, it's known that this guy survived a gun. He, he was armed with a shotgun. Okay, but what if he was armed with a pistol? Well, he was proven with the shotgun. That doesn't say he's not a good instructor with the pistol. Uh, I, I don't even know what, how, how I'm really going with this right now because I, I believe every instructor has, even a bad instructor, even a bad instructor is going to teach you, uh, I hate to say, you know, use the, you know, a bad example uh, or, or, you know, what not to do. Yeah. But you can, you, right. can, you, can, you can see it. If you're standing there and this guy in front of you teaching you how to reload by, you know, holding the gun up to down with your pinky and uh, or, or whatever technique he's trying to show, and you can sit there and like, and you can decide, and you know in your mind, okay, this doesn't seem efficient. That's fine. You can take that information and file it, but uh, I wouldn't exactly take it to heart. But you can filter that. Everybody's got a really good BS filter, uh, BS alarm in their heads, and they know, and, and you know, is this good information or is this sketchy information? Well, yeah, every instructor has good points and bad. That's what I call take the meat and throw away the bones. And, you know, I, you know, I agree with you on that, too. Um, and I think if you've been to Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, or a law enforcement officer has been in multiple engagements or one engagement or anything, I think an officer or uh, you know, a civilian or, or, or instructor that has actually been in a fight, he's going to have certain pet peeves that came from the type of fight that he was in. And that he's going to care a lot about. 
and he's going to stress those pet peeves. And I think that's important. But I think an instructor who has never been in a fight before, he may not have those specific pet peeves, but he's also going to be full of great information. You know, I don't think you have to be a gun, actually been in a gunfight to be a good instructor. I think you could be a great instructor without that. But I think if you have been in a fight, it adds a little bit more tools in your toolbox, a little bit more information. It adds a little bit more credibility. You know, uh, if I'm if I'm teaching it, law, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And and it, it validates it it, it it validates his opinion. You know, some you know, like for example, I'm not a fighter pilot, but you know, I really think the F-18 is the bee's knees when it comes to naval aviation. However, you know, uh, I've not been in the cockpit. I don't know about it. If I'm going to talk about it, uh, you know, I'm not as uh, I'm not as knowledgeable as the guy who was an F-18 pilot because he's going to know the ins and outs of that. For example, when I went through basic training, all of my all of my instructors were Vietnam veterans, every one of them, and uh, you know, you, and you can see in their eyes that uh, not just okay, I know what, I know what I'm talking about, guys. This is how you do it because it's going to save you save your life. But you could see in their eyes that they wanted you to really learn because they don't want to see what happened, you know, what happened to their friends yeah. over there happen mm-hmm. to you, you know, at some point in the future. And it's that desire to make them better than, to make you, you know what? the that's, students, better than what a, they were. That's a great point. You know, I never really thought about that until now. And I do the same thing. You know, whenever I'm teaching somebody about gunfighting or guns, AR or M16, M9, whatever, you know, I always feel that I have, I, I love guns, you know, but I always feel that I have more of an emotional attachment than other instructors because, you know, I've seen people make mistakes and pay for it in ways that I would not like to see any human being pay for it. You know, and I, I have an emotional attachment to that to where I, I want to make sure that if I'm spending an hour teaching somebody something, I want it to be the best hour they can get and I'm going to give a hundred percent to it. And, uh, as a instructor who has been in multiple gunfights in Iraq, I can relate to that kind of thing. I could probably relate to a SWAT environment better than I could relate to an individual who's carrying concealed and has to fight one bad guy who's trying to rob him. I can't relate to fighting one bad guy who's trying to rob me. I've never been in that situation. Even though I've been in a gunfight, I think those two gunfights are different to me. I think they're they're very different. Uh, I I think the adrenaline, the combat cocktail, the feelings that you're going to get inside, I think those are going to be similar. Mm-hmm. But I think yep. a lot of other things are going to be a lot different than what I was faced with. I was faced with things quite a bit different than being, you know, walking through Walmart parking lot and trying to get robbed by a guy with a gun. Yep. Some of my stuff may apply, may not. Yeah. Yeah, engagement distances, the weapons used, the motivation of the enemy, uh, all of these different factors. You come from a military perspective versus a guy with a law enforcement perspective, they're going to teach you different aspects of the same thing. It's like holding up a coin. Well, one instructor sees the heads, the other instructor sees the tails. And there's few instructors out there that have seen both sides. And uh, those instructors are great, but they tend to be expensive. And there yeah. uh, they're worth many. But I might go on law enforcement get- one day so I can be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, but this is that's just a reason to go for different instructors because you can have a marine instructor, you could have a, an instructor that had an army background, you could have an instructor that had, 
you know, LAPD SWAT background versus, uh, you know, Henrico County Sheriff's Department background in Virginia. You know, you've got different backgrounds, different uh, aspects of what is going to save your life, and that could be totally valid in one situation. But like the Henrico deputy, uh, his his perspective might not be as valid as the Marine Corps instructor. You know, if you're on your way over to Afghanistan, so. Um, the different tools in the toolbox. It goes back to that. You, you got to keep learning. Yep, that's it. That's exactly right. And you know, you say uh, summarize this question right here. Uh, say an individual wants to go get some training, and he's like, "Well, you know, this instructor's never been in combat, or he's never shot anybody or anything. I don't really want to go to him. I think that would be a bad decision. Go get something from him, and then go get something from somebody else, and then eventually you're going to get somebody who has, and you're probably going to find that it wasn't that much different." Uh, it's, uh, one example of that was when, uh, Larry Korea, Larry, Larry Korea, he wrote Monster Hunter International. He, he, he's a friend of mine and, uh, he's a great shooter. He's been competing in three gun and IDPA for a long time. And, uh, just been a fantastic to read that one shot. for a while, but I haven't got Oh, yet. dude, if you haven't read it, man, I, I cannot give a plug big enough to encompass all that is awesome about Monster Hunter International. But uh, yeah, get that off Amazon. It's well worth the read. Can you hook up an autograph copy? Can you hook up an autograph copy? Uh, we can. We can probably make that happen for you. Nice. Okay. We can probably make that happen for you. Probably. Now, you know, he is a great pistol shot. And when he came out to my class, I was actually worried. Wow, what am I going to teach Larry that he doesn't already know? How am I going to make this class valuable for him? And. Uh, you know, Larry came out with a good attitude. You know, I'm I'm here to learn, and he he, he did the class. And after the class, I always take my students. We, we always go out to a Mexican restaurant and sit down after the class, eat Mexican food, rehydrate, and uh, talk about the class and just talk about all different kinds of stuff. But Larry says, you know, I always learn something new. And I said, well, did you learn anything new from my class? He goes, oh, absolutely. So even even him being a you know, a champion-level IDPA shooter, you know, to come out to, uh, you know, my little corner of the desert and take my little training class and walk out with, you know, with some valuable tools in his toolbox that he didn't have before. You know, as an instructor, that made me feel good. Yeah, that says so, something. You know, that, that's, that's, that's what motivates, one of the things that motivates me is, you know, I want to provide something that they didn't have before. Uh, some tools, some knowledge, some skills, and work on some things. And when the class wasn't around, you know, at the range, Larry showed me a couple of things that I didn't think about. Uh, so, you know, I was learning too. So that was a, you know, it was a double win for both of us. So uh, it, was, it was a fantastic day training, and every class I put on, something like that happens. So I'm always learning myself, and, uh, you know, I'm never going to stop learning. When you know, I stop you, learning, I'm gonna stop you learn from students, too. I, I know I do. I learn from <laughs> students, too. I get questions that are like, wow, you know, I haven't thought about that. Great question. And then as I analyze the question, it might take me 30 seconds to analyze it. As I analyze the question, I learn something. Like, wow, that's great. And I, it enters my thought process, and now I determine what I would do in the situation or whatever. And, you know, I just, I just added something else. You know, I put another file folder in my head, and, you know, that's – you can always get something, and I, if for him to come out there and learn something from you, and 
Uh, I know if you went to a course that I taught, you would probably walk away with something. And if I went to a course that you taught, I would walk away with something. And the, yep. the probably the best thing that we would get from that is that when me and you were at the Mexican restaurant, you know, drinking margaritas and eating chips and salsa, we'd probably learn something there as well because we would talk to each other about different things. Uh, I would tell you Absolutely. things that, that you could have done better and you'd have told me things that I could have done better. Uh, and as the... Uh, um, the liquid courage rose a little bit more in our bloodstream, we probably would be a little bit more open about how we told each other we were screwed up so we could fix our deficiencies uh, together. You know? <laughs> exactly. It, you can't beat that. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. It really is. Exactly. All right, let, let me ask you another I, I, question. Okay. Oh, did you have something? You... Well, I was going to say, you know, out here I'm teaching, I'm teaching civilians. I'm teaching members of the military that will come out, take my class. I've had law enforcement come out. But mostly I'm teaching civilians, and you got different people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, so trying to give them one technique that's going to work for everybody in the class doesn't quite work. I had one guy, and he's actually a martial arts instructor, but he's missing three fingers on one of his hands. So being able to hold the gun and do the same technique that I showed everybody else didn't quite work for him, so I had to work with him a little bit, and we found something that worked for him. But... We also had another student. Uh, she is very short, and at the time she was, I'm going to use the phrase, with, you know, with much respect, hugely pregnant. And so shooting from, you know, she a supine position. and pregnant, and she was out there busting caps, doing some training. Oh, and, oh she was awesome. That is, she was fantastic. That is awesome. That is great. Yeah, she, she was enthusiastic. She was running. An HK that was a little bit too big for her hands because, you know, she's just a little thing. But, you know, she was a fireball. Well, if she and had a she, gun that didn't have a trigger reset that was all the way out to Mars, you know, she might have been able to shoot a little bit better. But, you know, that's just <laughs> maybe. And, and we did discuss that. We did discuss that. But, you know, you know, going back into a supine, you know, she looks down and she looks. She goes, "Hey, look, I've got these big things in the way here, and I've got this big belly here in the way here, and you know, I can't see the target." Okay, so instead of going to the supine, let's roll your shoulder over this way. Yeah, and, a little and working with Exactly, and working with the students, you know, individually, instead of just trying to, like some classes I've been to, you know, fit everybody, you know, all the pegs into the same holes. It just doesn't, doesn't quite work. So as a trainer, you know, you've got, to be, you've got to be open, and you've got to gauge not just the individuals of the class, who they are, their body, uh, body uh, mechanics, their body uh, uh, requirements, and, and try to fit what's going to work for that student and also gauge the overall class's skill level. If I'm going to put on a basic class and everybody comes in, has a, you know, a good understanding of the fundamentals, well, then instead of just teaching the same basics, let's, you know, let's raise the bar a little bit more and go you know, a, little bit of, a little bit more advanced instruction and show them some more techniques that uh, that these guys are ready for. So you got to kind of gauge that individually. And, uh, and a lot of the good instructors that I've seen, they're able to do that on the fly. So, and it starts with that first time, okay, let's just draw and fire three rounds and see how you do. And they can gauge and judge what this person needs, you know, in a very, very short span of time and then adjust his curriculum on the fly to fit the needs of these students. Okay, so you those, know, you just touched on something, and I was sitting here looking at my questions. Of, I got like 10 more questions to ask you, but it's probably not going to happen. So I've been trying to pick the ones I want to ask you. But you just talked about curriculum. Right 
And that just goes perfectly wrong with the question I was just currently looking at. So I think it's meant to be that I asked this question. Um, Good. What do you do to keep your curriculum current or to develop new curricula to address the needs of your students? You know, what are you doing? You know, what you're going to teach today is probably going to be different than what you teach a year from now because we're going to get information from other case studies and other things that go on that might say, hey, this works better. Oh, yeah. Things like that. What are you, what are you doing to keep current? Yeah, in my curriculum right now is different than what I taught the same the same day last year. So it's uh, it's it's the constant evolution. And what I do is I you know I keep in contact with the other instructors and I'll go and I'll work with different instructors. Uh, the city of Utah we've got some very good instructors, and without naming any names, uh, you can you can you know really to look them up online. But there's some very good solid people. And you go and you talk to these guys. And you go shooting with them, and you, you, you can pick up, you discuss different things, you can pick up new things. But by keeping in contact with other instructors, because I don't look at them as competition, and they don't look at me as competition, because I'm three hours away from them, um, you know, we're able to work together very well and uh, uh, without any kind of, okay, I'm not going to show you you know, it's really good technique that I teach because I don't want you to teach that. You know, there's none of that that kind of stuff. You know, they're professionals. Uh, me and uh, the guys I work with with Crusader, you know, we're professionals, and you know, we share full disclosure with what with what we're doing. And by working with the other instructors, we can quickly see if something is working or if something doesn't work by that feedback. Okay, how many students have you taught with? You know, shoot, you know, shooting with this technique, and is that working for them? No. What about if we change this and this, and and how would that work? And uh, without going into any specifics, we're able to find out and work with what we are seeing with our students. You know, translating is, is an actual worthy technique. And if it doesn't work, we drop it. And if something does work, we're going to pick it up. For example, a lot of 380 autos are becoming hugely popular. I mean, the 380 pistol has just become, you know, the number one choice for the United States for concealed carry. Okay, how are you going to address teaching how to shoot this? Well, you know, because you have to train with it, even though it's a pocket pistol. This is your lifeline. That's your ripcord. You still got to train with that. How are you going to teach these techniques? And some techniques that you teach with a big pistol don't translate to those tiny pistols because you don't have much, enough grip on it. There's some pistols on the market I can only use two fingers on. So I can't do the same, the same technique uh, that I use running a M&P or a, an HK or a Glock. Yeah, they they just don't work. So it's uh, it, it's always looking at what's new on the market. You know, a movie will come out showing a technique, and man, I, I can take half a class to dismiss movie mythologies. And, oh, uh, you know what I. I'm gonna stop you there for a second because I know how I was gonna ask you later on how Matt Ogre got started and everything because I've heard your story about uh, the guns and movies and stuff and I, after hearing that I was like you know what I got to have George on the show one day and we're gonna talk about movies and stuff because people ask me about <laughs> doing like what I think about this movie and that movie sometimes and I was, you know what I gotta get George on here Again, I've been thinking about this for probably a few months now I, was, I gotta get him on there because of what he did with that the Matt Ogre thing and stuff and I don't want to steal the thunder yeah. If you guys want to hear that, go to Armed American Radio, download it. That's when you talked about it. I don't remember what episode it is. Email Mark Walters and ask him what episode it was. He'll tell you. Give him some more listeners because that's a great show too. Right 
but uh you know i i thought that was really cool um the way you you went through all the guns and everything of the matrix and all that stuff and i was like you know i do the same thing for video games i've been doing the same thing i just haven't been writing them down because you know i'm a big video game guy and uh, i've been doing the same thing for video i'm like why would you why would you put that gun in the game this game is so good but you give me an xm8 why would i have an xm8 i would never pick an xm8 what what are you thinking you know and it's just things like that and uh uh, there's movies I see sometimes, and I'm like, you know what? If I had George on here, we could talk about this, and it would be a very fun conversation. Uh, oh yeah, we got to do that sometime. And yeah, I, I would love it absolutely. Because because we all—that's part of the gun culture. We all love action movies. Some of us more than others, but one common thing is, you know, you, you're talking to gun nuts like 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 us, and we're sitting here watching a movie, and a character will pull out a gun, and it's like. You know, you got to identify that gun. You know, we just have to. What gun was that? So it's either we we know what it is by recognition, oh, yeah. or we go and home and not only identify, we pull up like, online. magazine capacity and everything else. You know, I got to throw that out there too. You know, it's just oh yeah, just to, to get those bragging rights, I guess. Yeah, and I watched, but like I've, I started watching the show Chuck, and I love it. It's an awesome show. But the one of the recent episodes toward the end of the season three, there was uh, one of uh, an older female spy had a gun and I could tell by the way she was holding it she has never held a gun in her entire life and there was nobody on the cast or director cast or anything to show her how to properly hold a gun like it blew her mind you know the other guys in the show that carry guns all the time they actually look like they had somebody taught them how to do it and they're like they're doing things properly and they, they play the weapon the right way and stuff I'm like wow and it's been pretty accurate the way they do a lot of things in the show but then she was holding the gun I was like yeah, it's clear that she has never held a gun in her entire life but she's supposed to be some 30 year old spy and like the greatest thing ever and I was like you know why, why don't I work for Hollywood telling them how to do things the right way you know, I always ask myself you know, that it, question it's kind of funny because when I first published I first published uh, a Guns Of article uh, it was I believe it was the Guns Of The Matrix and I, I was doing an examination of not just what gun they were using but is this a good gun for the character? Uh, what would be a better gun for the character? And I was examining the gun as a character in the movie, something that nobody's really done that before. And I did that for you know a, a number of different movies. And I've kind of stopped because somebody kind of somebody else out there took what I was doing and kind of ripped it off. And I'm not going to go into any details I know about how that. that is. But, <laughs> but uh, it just kind of you know took away my motivation for doing that. But the fact that I put those out there. I started getting questions from people who are working on movies, who are working on TV shows, and they all of a sudden started started asking me, hey, we, we're thinking about using this gun here. Uh, I've got these three choices. Which would be a better fit for the character? And at first I was just like, yeah, this is you know, kind of interesting and kind of fun. And, uh, but then it, it, it turned into a, a more regular thing. And I'm not allowed to say, but I've been, con- I've been consulting on uh, several different TV shows, uh, a movie uh, that came out fairly recently, and and books. And I love working with authors because they'll give you like a whole page worth of email about this character. So they got to find the perfect gun for this character. Oh, wow. Yeah, but also, that what would, cool. it, it is, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but one 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 specific writer I'm going to mention because you know I'm I'm in the back of his book. Uh, Stephen James. He writes a fantastic. Uh, series of books about a special agent named Patrick, Patrick Bowers. And uh, the first book is called The Pawn, then there's The Rook, and then his most recent book is called The Bishop. And this is a great crime drama about this uh, FBI agent. And you really get into the characters. And he, and, and Stephen's a very 
uh, technical writer when it comes to what's going on and uh, the way he weaves the stories. It's fantastic reads. But, you know, just being involved with writers and helping them get their books done, uh, to me, that's, that is my favorite hobby. You know, I'm not really getting paid a lot of money from, uh, from any of these sources. Uh, and for other writers who are just getting started, you know, you know, don't even tip me in the PayPal. Just, you know, don't, don't worry about that. I'll help you out as much as I can. It's just a lot of fun for me, and it's great to see a writer take the information I've given them and putting it. And I'm sitting here reading about, uh, you know, about the about these characters doing it. And in this latest book uh, from Stephen James, normally the stuff I've told. I've told them and I've helped James has all been done you know it's all good guy stuff but now I'm sitting here reading this book I'm like hey the bad guy's doing this that's, that's my information I'm consulting to be the villain I'm a villain consultant you know it just it just kind of threw me threw me well, from you know, it just kind it, of the type of villain would also have bearing on the gun and his mindset and everything you know being a villain alone would probably change the gun yeah it's uh it's. I think yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun, and this is completely off topic, topic as usual for Gunfighter Cast. So don't feel bad about that at all. But uh, man, you know what? I, I'm gonna start bothering you, and I'm gonna send you some more messages. And don't don't tempt me because I will buy a new website and I will start a podcast on doing movie gun reviews. I'll do it, and me and you, <laughs> me and you will host it. Absolutely. That I'll record cool. it. You just get on the show. I'll record it, and we'll put it out there. Because it sounds sound like be, a good time to me. We can be the Cisco and Ebert of ballistic theater. <laughs> it does sound like fun. All right, let me get back to another question. Um, right on. All right, say I signed up for a class with Crusader uh, Crusader Training. Okay. I signed up for a class, and I show up you know, with my gear that you guys sent out in the email to require it or whatever. I'm ready to rock. What can I expect from you, your staff, uh, and what what... Should you, would you, what would you expect from me during the day of training? Well, what, what we look for, you know, what we want to see is a student with an open mind. Uh, because, we'll, you know, being out here in the rural community, uh, we've got a lot of students that uh, come from their different backgrounds, and they think that they know everything there is to know about, you know, handgun shooting or whatnot. You know, just fine. Maybe, maybe you do know a lot, but just... When you come to my class, keep an open mind, okay? Because with a closed mind, with pre- preconceived notions, uh, you're not going to allow any new ideas to come in. You're just going to be dismissive, and you're going to miss the tools that I'm going to give you. You're going to miss out. Um, so I like to see an open mind, and the best shooters come to the class with an open mind. So, uh, for example, that little pregnant girl, she came out, um, you know, she didn't want to do it at first, but when she finally came out, she had a good time, and uh, she learned a lot, and I learned a lot about teaching, um, you know, small-statured, hugely pregnant women. You know? I, I bet. I'm sure you did. <laughs> but it's, uh, that open mind is, is the best thing. Another thing I can't stress enough of, you know, bring water, bring some energy drinks, bring some snacks. Uh, the desert is very sapping of your energy. And your hydration level—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it, it's a hard environment. We're at uh, about 56,000 feet elevation. Uh, we don't really have any humidity, and uh, you can—it's—it's it, it's a tough class. You spend all day on the range. That's why I do 
you know, I try to fit people into one-day classes, and I condense my courses into one-day classes with low round counts because, you know, because of time and expense, it's hard to go to a week class, but it's easier to go to a one-day class. So I'm able to have more people that way, and uh, I've organized the classes so that they stack. So you come to one class, you come to the next class, and you get more, and, and it builds. So, you know, you spend, you know, a summer coming to the one-day classes. Well, by the time you're done, you've got, in my opinion, and this is opinion based on feedback from people who've gone, been to Gunsight and whatnot, you know, it's a better course than what you would have gone to, like, say, a, a two- or three-day course at Gunsight. And, uh, you know, because I'm able to spread the information out and uh, really let something sink in and you're able to take what I teach you, you can take it home and you can practice those techniques. And next time you got shooting, you can practice the weapon manipulations, clearing of stoppages and reloads, and you get the chance to practice that. Then you come back, better able to learn the next step, the next block of instruction. But uh, what you're going to expect is you're going to expect, uh, coming out to a Crusader Wilkinger course, you're going to expect very good instruction. You, you can expect uh, uh, good attention from the instructor. Because, you know, I'm the senior instructor. I'm going to be doing the lecturing, and I'm going to be showing techniques. But I've got two other very good prior military instructors that are backing me up so that almost everybody shooting is being watched. And I think that's, that's important. So, if, you know, if you've got a class of 18 people and there's, you know, just a couple of guys trying to teach this many people, well, half the rounds fire. You know, nobody's watching you shoot those rounds. So if you're doing it wrong, those are rounds wasted. Not only wasted, so, probably even creating more bad habits. Yeah. Yeah, you're creating these training scars that the instructor now has to say, okay, now let's keep your hand over here and wrap these fingers around your grip here and, uh, and, and whatever the case may be to, to fix that. Well, now you've got to, you know, rebuild a new habit, and, and that's, that's difficult to do. So with smaller classes, and uh, I'm not going to take a class more than 12 people um, just because I don't want to overextend our capabilities. We've got well, to be able you, to watch You're talking students. about having three instructors. That's one per four. And to me, that's optimal. Yeah. And that sounds good. Yeah. So, you know, and, and where, the way we stand, we can stand and we can watch one or two people. And if we've got somebody who's doing things really well, you know, we can focus a little bit more time on somebody who needs a little bit more help. But we keep that flexibility um, and keeping a high instructor-to-student ratio, is, it, it, in my opinion, is critical. It doesn't make it very economical. You know, we're not, I'll, I'll be honest, we're not making a lot of money teaching these classes. But, uh, that, you know, that's not our goal. Our goal is to provide the best service. So that's what you're getting when you, when you come to Crusader Weapons. And, you know, we've had guys coming out from different backgrounds. Uh, you know, my carbine class, we've had AKs, FALs. Um, we've had uh, means. I've had lever actions. Um, you name it, you come to my class, I teach you how to run that gun. I don't put on, okay, this is an AR-15 class. You know, I don't, I don't do that. I, uh, although, you know, I'm, I'm looking at putting together a whole class just for lever actions, just because they're so cool and they're so fun. But uh, you bring the gun that you want to shoot with. You know, if this is the gun that when you hear a bump in the night, that's the gun you bring to the class. And since nobody rolls around, I, I don't see very many people running around town wearing tactical vests and drop pouches and things like that. 
So you come to the class with what you would have. Okay, maybe you have a bug out bag, so bring your bug out bag. Okay, maybe you've got some Army Navy surplus store GI belt, Vietnam era mag pouches. If that's what you have with your gun, that's what you keep in the backseat of truck. That's what you bring to the class, and we talk about and we teach you how to run your gear. So I'm not trying to sell you gear. I'm not trying to sell you on new methodology. I'm trying to teach you how to run your stuff, what you have, what you would actually use in a fight. Because I've talked to the guys that have had, you know, he's got a $3,000 M4 setup, but his go-to gun is a 45 Colt lever action. And I said, bring the Colt. Bring that, bring that lever in this class. And he did, and he had a great time, and that's what he's comfortable shooting. So... That does yeah. sound like fun, like a lever action carving course. That that sounds like a good time. It really does. Oh, it is it is awesome. The whole thing about guns being outdated, and you know, there's nothing outdated about you know a 200 grain 45 cal slug hitting the target. That's not outdated. You know, no. until we get to the point where we're shooting beam weapons and particle projection cannons, you know, that old 45 Colt is just as just as valid as you know a 9 mm. You know what, a forty-five long Colt, you know, I could shoot somebody, shoot one out the window or whatever right now, and then pour a shot of my wild turkey that I always drink in that thing, and take almost a full shot out of the casing of a forty-five long Colt. I mean, that thing is just ridiculous. It really is. If I could pick a round that I never want to get shot with, it's probably going to be that. It really yeah, is. It, and, there's, and there's so much uh, flexibility with that cartridge. It's a great cartridge. And if you're rolling around with like a, a Peacemaker replica from Uberti or a Vaquero from Ruger, and if you know how to run that, you are well-armed. Just like a guy with a $3,000 M4 jury topped with a, you know, a Trichicon ACOG, and I mean, he's got all the high-speed gear, and he doesn't know how to run it. Well, who's better off? The cowboy guy or the, uh, you know, the operator wannabe? Yeah. Well, the guy with the training, he's going to win. Kind of like beware of the man that, that training, only has one gun. You know, there's that theory, but I've got a lot of guns, and I think, you, you know, it's good to be good with all of them. But, I think so, too. And I uh, think when you do get good, like, even with, you can apply the same techniques with pistol marksmanship. You can apply the same thing to rifle marksmanship. The basic fundamentals of marksmanship remain. You know, there's there's muscles that use right. different things, but the basic fundamentals of the shot process, they remain the same, you mm-hmm. know, weapon to weapon. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing's... Uh, with our shotgun training, which is a little bit different than any other shotgun training I've seen, we're taking a lot of those, uh, you know, model techniques with the carbines, and we're applying those to the shotgun. Uh, the only difference is that, well, we're shooting a different type of projectile. We're shooting multiple projectiles per shot, and you get to understand the capability and the usage of the different shells that you can get. And uh, you've got a very capable platform. There's some instructors out there that say, oh, a shotgun's, is is not very flexible at all. It's a very narrow, focused weapon. Okay, well, in your situation, it's true, because you've only got buckshot and maybe some slugs once in a while. But for the civilian shooters, he has a whole, a whole mess of, a whole spectrum of different shells for different purposes. And by applying right shell to the situation, you've got a, a weapon platform that is more capable than any rifle within range. And that range being from zero yards to 200 yards. Because my students, we end the day at the, at the rifle range shooting out to 200 yards, and we're making hits and having a good time. 
and totally dismissing the whole the whole premise of a shotgun is only a 20-yard weapon. Well, with new new shot shells from like Federal using the flight control wad, um, just the last shotgun course we had, we demonstrated that that is effective well, on a on a human-sized target out to 45 yards. Even a bad, is, oh, even a regular store-bought at Walmart slug can easily <laughs> not only kill but maim a bad guy at 100 yards. You know, even a, just a, a cheap rifle slug. You know, it, they definitely exactly. have a range capability. And people, and you know, exactly. what drives me crazy, when I train people with shotguns, I make it a little bit more physical than I do anything else because it's, it's really easy to keep an AR-15 or an M4 or an AK with, with, with the ammunition in the gun. When you have a gun that only mm-hmm. holds eight rounds but will fire, fire semi-automatic or fire pump, ox, pump action, um, you go through ammo so fast. And I, I use the term, if you're not killing, you're filling. You're, you're filling that magazine tube. If you're not actively putting bullets down range, you're putting rounds in that magazine tube. Uh, and then I, a couple mm-hmm. options for reloads, for doing speed reloads. But, you know, 100 mm-hmm. yards with a slug, you know, max effective range, like 1014, for example, you know, that we use in the Marine Corps, that along with the Mossberg 500, rifled slug, 100 yards. You should be hitting with a good zero. And you really should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and you can extend that further. Um, you know, being the military, you've got uh, you've got the ammunition that the military provides you. Well, coming from you know the civilian, we don't have that limitation. Right. And I can use I can use sable slugs. I can use uh, you know the Brennicky style slug. I can use three inch mag slugs, and I've got all this flexibility that allows me to take that that regular off the shelf smooth bore you know, 870 Express or Mossberg 500, and I said, we're now making hits to 200. And all it comes with, you know, you, you, you got to practice at the range you want to hit at. So we're, we're practice going at the intermediate ranges, going out. And I tell people, you know, 200 yards, and they're, they can be dismissive, but I've got, time and time again, I've got these students that have their eyes wide open about the capabilities, the true capabilities of a, of a shotgun with proper load selection. So that's why you see my side saddles. On most of my guns, I've got a couple of, you know, extra double-out buck. I've got a couple, a uh, uh, little bit more specialized rounds, and I've got a couple slugs, you know, in my side saddle. I just don't have it filled with all one type of shell. Uh, so, you know, I, I love the shotgun. I can talk, I, I could talk about the shotgun all day long, just the shotgun. I do too, and that's something I haven't talked about enough on Gunfighter Cast is shotguns. You know, I touch on it every once in a while, and I, one of our recent episodes, it was guns and gear on a budget, and I talked about, um, you know, if you don't have any money and you want to protect your home, go to a gun show or go to a gun store and find a used piece of crap 16-gauge or double-barrel 12-gauge. Just find some gun, you know, like a, a double-barrel 12-gauge. Some of those can get really expensive. But some of those can be oh, incredibly cheap, and you're talking about a double barrel oh, yeah. 12 gauge. It's a tube with something that the the shell sits in, and something strikes the primer. You really can't screw that up. I don't care if it's made by Kmart, no. and the Kmart is the brand. You can't really screw it up. You know, tape a flashlight to right. it. And there's there's really not a, you know, if you get away from the high points, there's really not any bad guns. Uh, on the market. I mean, they're all very good. Um, some are, you know, of course, remain better than others. But even, 
you know, you talked about the guy with the 300 bucks. Well, he, for 300 bucks, you can get a, a really good shotgun. Yeah. You can get a pump action shotgun. You can get that Mossberg. Uh, you can get, uh, uh, an 870 for 309 bucks. You can buy a Remington 870 Express. And you're going to have a very good gun to defend your home with. Or you can take that 300 bucks. You can get like 189. You can buy an NEF pump gun and a case of shells to go with it. So, yeah. or you I mean, can buy like a really there. old police gun or something. You can you can do it. You know, I don't I don't down high points. I wouldn't own one because I don't think they're reliable enough for me. Um, I but someone who wants to have a gun, I think everybody should own a gun. And you know, they want a high point. I'm going to try to give you an alternative because there all are to our alternatives. You can with that same amount yeah. of money that they cost. You can get a better gun for that amount of money if you just look around yep. a little bit. You know, and there's plenty of resources online. I talked about that in my last show when I talked about guns on a budget. You can get a used gun at GunBroker.com or Arms Guns America. There's a lot of places you can do it at. You know, right. it really is. There's plenty yeah, of options you out there. Buy a, you can buy a military surplus Makarov. You know, for the same price as a brand new high point, and that Makarov is actually a battle-proven. It, it's a battle-proven gun. I mean, it's a, it's a heck of a nice pistol. And there's yeah. guys out there that are huge fans of the Makarov for a good reason. You know, but the high point, if that's all that's available, that's all the money you have, by all means, get, go ahead and get the high point because it's got to fill that need. Because yeah, having yeah. a gun is better than having harsh, just harsh language. I like to think of it as a gateway drug. You know, right now maybe that's all, all, all that's available to you. Yeah. That's all that you can afford, and you can't get anything else right now. Maybe you don't have time to research or whatever. Go buy a high point. That's kind of like smoking pot. You can do that. Eventually, you're gonna start smoking crack. You know. That was a yeah, joke. Exactly. You never know. But yeah, you're gonna eventually go ahead and you're gonna save a little bit of cash. You're gonna get that Glock. And you know, Glocks are cheap pistols. Relatively, Glocks are cheap mm-hmm. pistols. And you know, with me with a military discount or a law enforcement or even security guards get these discounts, man, you can get a gun. And, you know, I love 1911s. And I sold a $2,800 1911 Springfield custom operator once. And I cry because I can't hold it in my hands again because it's the best filling gun in my hand ever. But when I went to the range and I put a couple hundred rounds through it, I would have at least four or five stoppages, especially when it started getting dirty. And we're talking about a Springfield Armory MC operator that's just like more than my last car cost. But I take my wife's Glock 19 or one of my old Glock 21s or something, and I take it out to the range, and I can feed it ammo all day long, and it wants to get dirty. It doesn't care how many rounds I shot through it. It'll eat anything. It doesn't care if it's Granger. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what, I'm, what kind of ammo I'm feeding this thing. It's going to eat it. And that Glock, you know, you just can't beat it for the money. And there's other guns that will do that as well. And uh, you know, exactly. as much as I love 1911s, the way they shoot, the way they feel, and everything, you know, my love lies with the Glock. You know, and my trust lies with the Glock. I think you need to have a gun and put a bunch of rounds to it before you actually trust that thing to carry on your hip. And uh, the Glock just does that for me. I've never trusted another gun like I trust Glocks. And you know, I feel the same way. And for a long time, I've said I don't like Glocks because they don't fit my hand. And you know, you know, just shooting so many different guns for so long. Uh, I'm at the point where I can pick up pretty much any gun and be proficient with it. Uh, but I've kind of come back to Glocks. And I say come back to Glocks because I did buy a Glock 17 when they first came out. And uh, I bought it, and I thought it was the neatest thing since I spread. But I kind of went back from that to, you know, the 1911s. And I love the 1911. That's, that's a fantastic gun. But 
you know, from seeing so many different makes and models with the 1911s that have had failures uh, through the training courses, and I can count on one hand uh, by holding my my index finger and my thumb together, I I can I can get a, a, an accurate count of how many Glocks have had problems uh, throughout my classes. I, uh, I've seen it zero. too. Isn't that amazing? It it really is. And the simplicity of the Glock. It, the, there's the people that down the Glock so much, but its reliability is just it's undeniable. It really is. Mm-hmm. And before we go any further, could, this that's one of my next yeah. questions. What's your favorite okay. carry gun, and why is it your favorite? My favorite carry gun? Well, I, I've already mentioned it. It's it's a Glock 23, and uh, it's the RTF2 finish, uh, which is a little bit different texture than the Generation 3, but it's essentially a Gen 3 Glock. Uh, I've got some Warren Tactical Night Sights on it, and I'm carrying it in a uh, what's called a Crossroads rig from an outfit called Adams Holsters with Shark Hide. It's a real nice holster. And, uh, you know, that's been on my hip pretty much since I got back from SHOT Show 2010. Uh, talking with Mark, you know, uh, we were talking about different carry guns at the time. I was carrying a SIG 1911 GSR C3, which is a, a good little compact 1911. But, uh, you know, he, he made a good argument for the Glock again. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take another look at the Glocks and see if, you know, if I can make it work for me. And, uh Absolutely, it did. So I bought one. A week later, I bought a Gen 4, Model 22. Uh, but the Model 23 is really unique, and there's few guns out in the market that are like this. The balancing the amount of firepower in one magazine with the weight to the gun, being able to carry this gun so easy, concealable, yet it shoots like a full size with that, that great capacity. And then I can throw in a, a full-size Model 22 mag, you know, if I need more ammo. Uh, the, the balance of balance of size, weight, and firepower is, is unmatched. A lot of guys like the 19, the Model 19, for the same reason, but I prefer 40 cal over 9. Uh, you know, that's just that's just a personal preference. Yeah, so, you know, um, I'm 30 years old. In 2001, I turned 21 years old. My birthday is April 1st. On April 1st, I had a gun on layaway that I've been paying for for quite a while. And when I hit my birthday and I got my, you know, it was time for me to do it and I could go buy my first handgun, I walked into the pawn shop that I had been buying this thing from and I'd already paid it all off. I just couldn't pick it up until I was 21. My very first pistol I ever owned was a Glock 23. And the reason I bought it was because I shot a friend of mine at the range a few times and it was that balance that you talked about. Whenever you decide that it's time to pull that trigger... And that thing recoils, and you have a decent shooting position. And I say decent. It doesn't have to be amazing. A decent shooting position. Those, The way that weapon recoils and the balance of that slide, when it gets back and chambers that next round, those sights are right back where you wanted it. They're right back where exactly. they need to be. You know, with, it's, exactly. It, it's a, a great gun. You know, me, I, I carry 9mm mostly, and I prefer 9mm for a magazine capacity and not having to carry extra magazines. Uh, I like mm-hmm. the, the penetration I like the. I'm a smaller guy, you know. I, I weigh about a buck sixty, and you know, in the summertime, and I can carry it wintertime and summertime. I don't have to retrain because I'm switching guns for wintertime or summertime. And you know, the nine millimeter for me works great, but the forty does. You know, that's what I started with, and that twenty three. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I'd have kept my first gun I bought. I really do because that was like the most one of my greatest days of my life. My first pistol. 
<laughs> yeah, it was twenty three. It's a special moment. It's a special. It's a special moment when you first get your first gun. Um, I remember my first gun. Um, I still have it, and uh, I've been teaching my kids how to shoot with that. And that's a an old single shot twenty two, uh, Remington model uh, five fourteen, and it's just a beautiful, elegant little twenty two. But I still have it. My boys have all shot it, and uh, uh, it's kind of a one of those family heirloom things now. But I also fondly remember my first pistol. It's a, a Ruger single six twenty two revolver, and uh, you know that was a great gun. Wish I still had that too. But uh, that's it's a special time when you when you buy that first gun, and this is your gun, and you know it's nobody yeah. else's. Yeah, and that's it. it. Yeah. I bought it. You know, when I was I turned 13 or 14, my dad for Christmas got me a Winchester Model 1300 uh, shotgun. I want to say 1300. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had two barrels, and it was a slug gun. I ended up going to Walmart and buying, like, a scope for it and stuff. And that thing would – it was it would freaking drive nails at, like, 100 yards, no trouble. And, uh, yeah. With a slug barrel and everything. And, you know – that was my first gun, but you know that that Glock was the first one. Well, not the first one I bought. I eventually bought a Mossberg 500, not knowing how amazing a Mossberg 500 was. I bought the pistol grip heat shield version of it from a friend because I thought it was really cool, and ended up buying mm-hmm. a. Uh, I still remember, and this was like forever ago, from Arizona Gun Runners. I bought a uh, a Speed Feed pistol grip stock, and I uh, loved it, and it looked like a Benelli M1 oh, yeah. at the time, and I thought it was amazing, and I was like every bit of 18 years old. Uh, that was like the coolest thing I'd ever done. I put a side saddle on it and stuff. It was great. But now you're really limited back then about stuff with Mossberg 500. Now you can treat a Mossberg 500 yeah. like you can at 870. Used to you had to be 870 to get cool things done to your gun. Yeah. All right. Well, next question yeah. here, and I like your carry gun, George. I'm with you on that one. Nice. Uh, so you well, you already told me what you're carrying right now, so I can't answer that. You already told me what kind of holster you carry in, so I, I can't ask you that. <laughs> uh, what about ammo? What's your carry ammo of choice, and what? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I back in 1986, there was that Miami Dade massacre where uh, several FBI agents were uh, uh, killed and wounded by two criminals, and uh, that spurred a huge development in uh, terminal ballistic science. Uh, people were studying hollow points and how they acted and reacted and velocities and bullet construction and there's been a lot of a lot of effort into studying this stuff and making good ammo and there's lots of stuff different studies that you know people have been doing uh, to try to find that that one perfect shell that magic bullet and you know there's you know the Marshall Sanal there was the famous Strasburg test that may or may not have happened. Uh, but uh, trying to find out that magic bullet is uh, something that there's been just a bazillion magazines, gun magazines sold, you know, trying to answer that question. And uh, uh, all I can say is that uh, the rounds you have in your gun is better than the rounds that you don't have. So, you know, just practice with what you got. You don't have to go buy, you know, the newest, latest, greatest stuff. Uh, however, I've got my gun loaded up with some Winchester PDX-1 hollow points, which is kind of like a uh, uh, an updated version of the original Black Talon. It's just like the Black Talon version, except it's using a bonded core. 
So it even still has the claws. It's got a good velocity. It's got great accuracy and consistency, which is what I look for. And it feeds very well through all the guns I've tried it in. And, and that right there, the feeding and uh, the consistency, is that's, that's my first and foremost. Um, you know, I, that's, that's what I look for in, in, you know, in my carry well, gun. Yeah, feeding's got to be. I've seen people who buy ammo for their gun and never shoot it. They buy like some crazy hollow point for their gun and never shoot their gun with a hollow point because it's so expensive. And they know that first round will go in, but will that second round feed? You know that that's got to be first and foremost because it may not. There's there's some guns don't like some hollow points. You know they really really exactly. don't. Exactly, and you know that's one of the good things about having a Glock or an HK or or, or an M and P is that you know there's only a few guns that you know. You know, I'd be willing to bet my life on new out of the box, um, but e- even those guns, I'm going to test them. But there was a, a time when I was a lot younger. I didn't know that. I bought a Springfield Armory 1911 called a Night 45, uh, as in nighttime. It had tritium night sights on it. It was cool. It was all black. I bought some 230 grain hydroshocks because that was, was what I was running in the Sig P20. And that used to set be the, the first end, one in just fun. the end round too. That was like the way to go is hydroshock or nothing else. Oh, absolutely. So I had those two hundred thirty grain hydroshocks. You know, I loaded it up, chambered that first round, popped off the magazine, and I had to go. So I strapped that to my my hip, and I was actually, you know, doing some patrol work, and I had this gun on my hip for almost a week before I actually had a chance to go out to the range. And what I found, the first shot went bang. The second shot, you know, jammed up the gun so solid, it took uh, uh, two and a half hands to, to clear it, and uh, it, would, it just flat out would not run. You know, if I end up dumping the gun and, and uh, getting something else, and uh, that was just a real eye-opener. I mean, I was young, I was full of energy, and thought I knew everything, and uh, just got caught myself flat-footed. I, I got what everybody else was saying was the best. But when I put them yeah. together and and took it out, it, it it didn't work. It was, you know, I had a Sergeant New York on my hands. Um, it, well, it just flat out didn't work. You know, at the time, probably the same time frame that I was thinking too, um, Hydroshock was it. You know, and I thought it was great too until I started really doing some reading and research. And, you know, when you start, you want that consistency. You want to make sure it feeds. But then, you know, where are you carrying it? Do you live in Florida? Because if you live in Florida, your December ammo is going to be different than if you live in Alaska. You know, at least it mm-hmm. should be. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Spear Gold Dot. I'll carry that a lot of times because I've seen and it's, that's a great point. I've seen what it does. I've I've looked at the ballistic uh, abilities of it. I've seen how it it penetrates those six to ten inches and it still expands. It doesn't expand too quickly, so it doesn't get caught up in that leather jacket or that big jacket, and then does it penetrate in the wintertime. It penetrates as it expands. And, you know, it's, it's I, I am a big fan of the Spear Gold Dot because I've read about it and I've learned about it. There's some other good ammo that looks very, very good. I've, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but there's some new stuff, and I want to say Winchester makes it. It's got all X's and PD and, like, di- like different letters and stuff that makes it sound really cool. I, I can't yeah, remember but, what it's yeah, called. Yeah, the PDX-1. That's, that's yeah, what that I'm may be one. it. Does it have like a? Does it open up like crazy wide? It looks like a perfect flower, and it's like beautiful when it expands. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. it, it's yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking about. Gel. Summertime. You shoot it into gel. It's a work of art. 
yeah, it, it, like summertime round, that's probably what I'm going to roll with when I get back to the States mm-hmm. uh, until I really see some good data on it and see that it's penetrating well and everything through clothing and everything else. And I, I've, I've you know, thought about ordering my own uh, uh, Dulucic gelatin and I've, I've researched how to make it and everything and do my own test because I'm the kind of person who I don't want to trust someone I don't know because maybe they're getting paid by these people to advertise. I don't know. So I'll do my own test, and it'll be fun. How is it? It's always going to be fun to shoot, and then you get to shoot ballistic gelatin and see what it would do to a human body or, you know, that's a good mm-hmm. time to me. So, uh, you know, and, but that round looks great, uh, and I've heard people talk about some good things about it, and uh, it just it looks sexy when it expands, that's for sure. Well, it, it feeds well. It shoots accurately. Uh, it shoots with good energy and velocity, uh, which is something like those hydroshocks. You know, for civilians to get hydroshocks, you're pretty much buying them in what's called the personal defense loading. Well, they, they're they using little lighter bullets sometimes. Uh, their energies are downloaded. They're not loaded to the same pressure. So you're not getting that same velocity. So all of a sudden, that great hydroshock bullet just doesn't have enough oomph to get that constant expansion. So it's, you know, I, I just don't recommend it. Uh, unless you're uh, a shooter that just cannot handle, you know, full-power recoil. Uh, well, I'd recommend going down down a caliber uh, first before I'd recommend buying uh, you know downloaded ammo. Yeah, oh, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that's a, and without going way further onto this topic, you know, like I've seen people carrying three inch barrel forty fives, and mm-hmm. a forty five is already slow and heavy. Heavy is not so much it a is. bad thing, but the slow is not so much a bad thing either. But whenever you get down to, you know, you get down lower than four inches you really start negating that round's potential and its abilities. It really starts to go. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's absolutely. dangerous. It really is. It is. It, you're sacrificing the reliability of the bullet's expansion to do its job. Because if a 45 doesn't expand, it's just, it's basically punching through like straight ball ammo. And that's not bad. That's not a bad thing, but it's not optimal. So instead of shooting that 230 grain bullet out of a sub four inch gun, uh, look for some 185 grain loads. That's going to keep your velocity up higher, and that bullet's going to expand as it as you want. And uh, you know, the 1911 was never designed for 230 grain ammo anyway. It was designed for 200 grain ammo. So going down in weight, um, you're not sacrificing anything, and you're gaining reliable expansion. So it's it's a it's a worthy trade-off. Okay, I got three more questions, and then I'm gonna we're gonna close it out. Glock, right and this is what I ask everybody that comes on the show. Glock or XD? I'm going to take a Glock. Okay. I'm going to take a Glock here. Okay, you can yeah, say I, Go ahead. Okay, I, I like to, I, I like, between the Glock and the XD, I'm going to take the Glock every time. I like the lower bore axis, and I like the fact that uh, the trigger reset, I, I think, you know, with the trigger components that I've put in, I've got a better reset, and I've got a better trigger pull, and with that lower bore axis, I'm able to shoot better with it quickly. The XDs that I've had in the past, the higher bore axis, you know, my split times were not quite as fast, and I don't have the different options for dropping trigger components to, to get a trigger that I really like. So I can, I can do that with the Glock really easy, the XD, not, not as easy. You had me a trigger reset, because that trigger reset is just like, <laughs> Oh man, a Glock's trigger reset is 
It's it's pretty much amazing. It's a life changing experience. It really is. I love it. Yeah. Once you but get you on know, the range and once you, I'm not one of those start shoot, Really shooting it. Yeah, 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 and get used to it a little bit because it is short. And you know, I'm not one of those guys who hates XDs. And I've actually, there's a few XDs I like that I'd like to own. And I like how Springfield has their custom shop that does a lot of things. And I can get my own XD that's like not like anybody else's XD ever. If I might spend a little bit more money on it, but I can do that. And I play on the, the Springfield Custom Shop website all the time with a little PDF file and stuff. Uh, I like it, you know. And, and I'm, I'll probably own an XD one day. I'll also I'll probably I, another gun I'm looking at right now is two guns. I'm thinking about getting as soon as I get back and save my cash for it. Is a Smith and Wesson M&P Pro. I want to run that gun a little bit because I've heard great things about it. And uh, I really want a Walther PPS. I think that nine millimeter small Walther PPS will be a perfect gun for me in the summertime. And I've held it, and it was a party in my hand, and it just it was great. Yep. And uh, oh yeah, and I know exactly what you're saying. And that, yeah, that's what a, I'm thinking. It's a good gun. Great guns. Uh, Smith and Wesson does a, a good job, and you know I'm not dogging on the XT either. I, I've purchased with my own money. I've purchased three of the suckers, and Springfield is one of the top companies out there when it comes to making the customer happy. If you get a problem with your gun, Springfield's going to take care of it. They're going to back you up. They back up all of their products. They're a fantastic American company. They've got a good product, and uh, you know that XT, even though it's made in Croatia, you know and uh, they're importing it. Uh, I remember when the XD was known as the HS2000. Yeah. That was a good gun back then, and it's still a good gun. It just went up it's a couple hundred bucks. Bad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they were like, what, 250 Yeah. Oh, man. How would that day be to go back then and buy a bunch of those? But, uh, uh, now it's backed with a company that's standing behind their, com- behind their products for the lifetime warranty. Uh, it's a good buy. It's a very good gun at a good price point. With great backing, uh, it's a good gun. But you know, it, when it came down, to, uh, I bought I bought the Glock. And it comes with holsters and magazine pouches that have Picatinny plastic rails on them. Oh yeah! Come on, you can't beat oh, yeah. Picatinny plastic rails. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I joke on that all the time because it makes no sense to me. That makes about as much sense to me as having a pistol grip on an AR. And I talk about this all the time, and that still blows my mind. That it holds two extra rounds. It just makes no sense to me at all. So why somebody would spend yep. sixty bucks on a pistol grip that holds two extra rounds, or a magazine pouch that has a Picatinny rail on it? I don't know. Oh well, the XCMs. Have you seen the the, the boxes that they come in? No, they, I haven't. They're so tactical. They got Picatinny rails on the cases, the pistol case that the gun comes in. It's got rails on the outside of the cases. Wow. Yeah, they're more. Yeah, they're more tactical. Than That's impressive. That is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I haven't figured out what to do with those rails yet. Uh, but uh, well, they're there you can, in you case can attach, they don't need it. You can attach your XD magazine filler to a Picatinny rail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can do that. Okay. Or they got those. Uh, they got those Picatinny uh, uh, sling swivel stuff things that you can put on, like your AR to put uh, a sling on the quad rail. So you can put two of those on there and have yeah, like a little suitcase. Good. Yeah. I, I, we talked about. I was on Eric Shelton's handgun podcast one day, and we talked about attachments for AR and furniture for ARs. And uh, we, me and Justin, when Justin was my co-host on Gunfighter Cast, we talked about building AR and stuff. And there's just so many crazy attachments these days for guns and Picatinny rails and ARs and stuff. You know, and I talk about having a rabbit's oh, foot attachment, uh, a Huber vacuum attachment, or a Dirt Devil vacuum attachment and stuff. And it's just, it just, it's so insane. It really is. Like, there's so much useless stuff out there. 
But before oh, yeah. we get into that, I've, we'll get her set I've up got for a another friend show. That I, Go ahead. Have you seen? Have you seen what are something that guys will put on the back of their four by fours called truck nuts? Oh yeah. Has he got shot? Yeah, he got... I've got a friend that he's got a, he's got a set of brass cojones hanging off of his quad rail on his on his AR. You know what? It's, it's I could hilarious. see that on the lower sling swivel down by the butt stock. I wouldn't want it to move around <laughs> too much on my Ford of my gun because it might mess up my. No, I wouldn't want it hanging off the front either. But that's that is funny. Got it, that is not. I it's like hilarious. It. I like it. You know what? That's a good idea. You know, I've. I've thought recently, I've been looking at uh, paracordsecrets.com and trying to figure out what I need to do to order some Kydex and start molding Kydex and making magazine pouches and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. I might have to make some truck nuts that attach to ARs now. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. That. Something I've been thinking about experimenting with. All right, uh, next yeah, question. Yeah, then you can set your time to <laughs> It does. Uh, Mossberg yeah. 500 or Remington 870? You know, wow, that that is a good question because they both have good pros and, you know, the pros and cons between the two. Well, these are it's, all three, like, perfect questions. Glock XD, Mossberg 500, and you can probably guess what the next one is. This is, this is the, are the, these are these gun questions. The gun question yeah. that they're, they can be, I don't know. But. Well, between the, between the 500 and the 870, I mean, that's the classic Ford versus Chevy battle right there. Um, per, I prefer... V870, and here's why. I like pistol grips on my stocks. You know, I like that configuration of a shotgun, and the 870 is a better configuration for running a pistol grip because of the position of the safety. Right. Now, if I'm running a straight stock like I got on my Mossberg, and I and I own a Mossberg, a Mossberg 930 SPX semi-automatic, fantastic semi-auto shotgun. And there's versions of it that's got the pistol grip on it, but I wouldn't use those because of the position of the safety. I like it better with a straight stock. So really, between the two, it comes down to what type of stock configuration you want to roll with. Yeah, you know, but, that's, a, that's you know, a good point, and nobody's ever brought that up, but I totally agree. You know, if you have a cross-bolt safety, like the 870, uh, or like a 1014, or Benelli M4, you know, that or M1 too, you know, that cross-bolt safety right there next to the thumb... And you're holding on to the pistol grip. That's where it needs to be. With the, it doesn't work very well with the Mossberg 500 because you got to reach on the top of the receiver to hit it. But uh, yeah, like the regular sporter stock, the Mossberg works great uh, being there on the top. But you know what? I don't like about the 870. I don't like where the action lock lever is. I don't like it in front of the trigger guard. I like it right there next to my hand. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. what I like about that the is that is the downside. That is the downside to the uh, to the 870. Uh, the Mossberg also has an advantage. And like I said, if I'm running a straight stock, I love having uh, the safety lever up on the top. You know, because if I'm holding the gun uh, in kind of low ready, my thumb can be right there on the safety lever ready to ready to make that switch. Um, it's just good configuration. I like the way Mossberg's, uh, the unloading and loading procedure of it, uh, because of the way the lift gate is, uh, I think that's advantageous on the Mossberg. But uh, overall, you know, comes right down to it i prefer the 870 remington i like the steel receiver i just like the way the gun uh is put together uh it's just personal preference but much respect to the mossberg what about why don't crusader make a shotgun that has the safety selector lever on the right hand side of the receiver where my finger should be straight and off the trigger anyway touching 
and as I decide I'm going to move it to my trigger, I can click that safety off. Why don't you guys make one like that and put my well, action lock lever under my trigger guard like the Mossberg 500? Well, we've we've already got a, uh, a shotgun design for that. Uh, it's something that we're working on. We're buying uh, one of one of the members of Crusader is buying a uh, a CNC setup so we can do our own machining of our own receivers, and we're going to be doing a shotgun that we've called the Warhammer, and this Warhammer is, when it, when it finally hits the market, it's going to be absolutely revolutionary. Right. I, I can't really say, any, I can't really say no, anything about much, that. No, don't give too much, because I'm really, I'm excited now. I was just throwing this question off the seat of my pants, because that's what I would like in a shotgun. And if you got one like that coming out, I will go to Utah and play with it if you want to send me one to try out, and I'll send it back to you. <laughs> but, uh... How about... I'm going to send you a link to a video that shows the prototype, and okay. it's going to blow you away. It's going to blow you away. Can I put it in the show notes of the show? Can anybody watch it, or should I just? It should be between me and you. Uh, no, you can put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, because because this little video clip, I've taken out the sound, so there's no sound to it. You just see the prototype of the gun, and you don't really know what it is. So uh, I'm going to send you the link to that, and. Uh, you take a look at that, and uh, you hit me back with what you think of it. it it's going to blow you out of the water. Sounds like a plan. Lastly, AR or AK? Ooh, you know, that's, that's a great question, because I have so much respect for, for the AK. But my personal gun, uh, the one I rolled with, it, it's an AR. It's a Crusader modified AR-15. It's a Rock River. And I'll be specific for the listeners out there. It's a Rock River Elite A4 that uh, has been uh, tuned by uh, by Joe of Crusader Weaponry, and it is absolutely functionally flawless. To be perfectly honest, I have never had a jam in this gun before. I do not know what it looks like jammed. Even trying for demonstrative purposes in, in my carbon classes, trying to set the gun up to simulate a jam, it doesn't even like doing that. It's, I mean, it's crazy reliable. It's amazing. But I've got so much respect for the AK. <laughs> it, uh, I love the, it gets a little bit mad at you when you try to close the ejection port cover and rack the charging handle. <laughs> it, it does. It doesn't like it. Does. It, 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 it pulls that. It pulls attitude on. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and cycle. You know what? I might, it's, I might, I might it, have to call my dad, tell him to pack my, uh, my AR up and send it to Joe, and tell him to do crazy stuff to it. Let me know how much it costs. Might have to do that. Oh man, the the, uh, the permanent lubrication treatment he does uh, is absolutely fantastic, and it and, and through third party testing, uh, independent companies testing it, it outperforms uh, a product out there called uh, Fail Zero, and uh, outperforms it by, and I'm not exaggerating, it outperforms it by twice, twice the reliability, you know, rounds through the gun, reliability count. Uh, more than twice, so Bell Zero is a good a good product. You know they're using boron though, and uh, that's what I use in my laundry detergent. So I don't really want that in my gun, but uh, <laughs> it, we we've got an amazing amazing product there with the slipstream weapon lubrication and the permanent treatment into the gun. Uh, we'll take even a unreliable A4 uh, M4 and and turn it into a reliable one, and. Uh, you know, you can do the same thing with the AK. 
Uh, the AK is a great platform, but, uh, you know, I've, uh, you know, they're both awesome. I understand. There's there's give and take with both. You know, I I like the AK. And I, and I want an AK, but my primary gun is going to be an M4 for reasons that would take a whole other show for me to name. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't want to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. it. This is the classic Marianne or Ginger question. I don't know if you guys have watched, uh, any of the listeners out there have watched uh, the old... Uh, 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 Gilligan's Island show. Gilligan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with the Marianne or Ginger. Well, the correct answer is both. So, between the AK and the, yeah, and the AR. There you go. Take yeah. both. Twins? Take both. I call twins. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, jo- uh, George. Man, it's, it's I've had a, a great time talking with you, and I think we're at like three hours or ten hours. I'm not even sure. But it's been a long time. Oh, man, you got a lot of editing to do now. I, you know what? I'm gonna do it tomorrow because uh, <laughs> it, it's almost 5 a.m. here. But uh, yeah, I, honestly, oh, you know, it's the first time we've ever talked, and I've, I've really had a great time. And we got to do this again. And don't think I'm kidding at all about creating a new podcast and talking about movies because I will. For just movies? Definitely do. Oh it. hell yeah! I, I will do it. Hell yeah! Okay. Let's 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 do that. Let's do that. All right, I'll set it up, man. We'll get it done. Because. That's a great time. Maybe once a month or once every two weeks or something. You know, we sit down and, and talk about it. it. Could be a great time. Uh, but before Sounds we close it all me. out, tell my listeners where uh, they can find you again online for your campaign, uh, Crusader Weaponry, uh, Mad Ogre. Where can they find you at? Well, everything comes off of the central hub of MadOgre.com. M-A-D-O-G-R-E.com. Mad Ogre. It's one of the oldest gun blogs on the internet, and uh, I've been I've been around there, and it's uh, I'm actually working on another update for it. Uh, so uh, everything everything stems off of that. Facebook, uh, Crusader Weaponry, the campaign, votegeorgehill.com.org, um, and uh, and I'm always available. Yeah, if you really can't find them. What's your email address? Uh, ogre at madogre.com. Okay. Uh, and if you really can't find them anywhere else, uh, I'm almost positive George is a fan of Gunfighter Cast, so most of you guys are a fan there, or at least almost a thousand of you are. And I'm on there. If you're friends with me at my personal Facebook, I'm, I'm friends with George, and I'm also following his um, his campaign, uh, votegeorgehill.com. So, uh you can find both of those there on my page. If you need to search for it through my friends, that's fine too. Uh, you can find them that way. But uh, George, you got to you got to take us out of here. And uh, I don't know how many Gunfighter Cast episodes you've listened to, but I always end it with a Gunfighter Cast out. So you're gonna have to throw us a Gunfighter Cast out. Okay, right on. This is uh, Daniel Shaw and George Hill from Gunfighter Cast. Keep your powder dry and check your six. Gunfighter Cast out.